0: I guess this question here, you can approach it a couple of different ways. What does God want from me? What does he want from me? Or what does God God want from me? What does he want me to do for him? I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. And we can kind of look at it from a couple of different ways. And I guess today we, we don't have any new people here today. We don't have any people that don't understand what it means to be born again. Um, So we're not talking about... um. Uh, um, being born again and entering into the kingdom of God. It's, it's really a question, I think, um, often pops up in year 25 of your year, if you walk in the Lord. You've been around for a while and you think it's all hunky-dory and you've got the one, two, three down, Acts 2, 38, John 3, woo, 5, yeah, we're going, here we are. And then all of a sudden you go, is this all there? What's the deal? I've just failed my exam. <laughs> Things aren't going so well. I don't like my cat. My Wife brought a cat home. Don't like it. Da-da-da. And life kind of starts to come in, and, you, and it's normalised. And the meetings are fairly normal, and it's it's all it's all just what we do. And you ask yourself the question: What does God want from me? You're getting frustrated. Oh, I can't believe that guy's given the talk again. Why isn't it me? Oh, I hate that chorus. Oh, and we start getting really critical, and and our heart starts to get really hard, and and it can, go on, and we suffer from it all. None of us are exempt from that. That is something that we will all face in our walk in the Lord. And so this becomes a really, really interesting question. As a as a young man in the fellowship growing up, there are certain things that the Lord expects from you. As a young woman in the fellowship growing up, there are certain things that the Lord expects. From you, and God has a purpose for each and every one of us, um, and I want to touch a little bit on this. And this is not a concept that's new. This goes right. We can go right back to Genesis, where Abraham, the Lord, uh, brought this up with him, and Abraham was like, "I don't know what I'm doing," blah blah blah. But we're going to start in Micah chapter six. You probably all know where I'm going. Micah chapter six. Now, Micah is an interesting book. Micah was what they call a rural prophet. There you go. He was a contemporary of Isaiah. There you have it. Beautiful. Isaiah was the city prophet, and Micah came from a town outside of uh, the main area uh, of, of Judah. And so Micah was ding, 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 ding. He was there. Yeah, I'm a country boy. So he had a grasp on life, and he had a different viewpoint to what Isaiah had, who was the city slicker. That's my summation. You probably won't find that in any Bible dictionary, but that's my summation. And Micah brings a very, very similar message to Isaiah. Isaiah 1, we're going to read a little bit in a minute. Very similar things he said, because your situation might change, but the answer is still the same. Um. And in this particular chapter, it's a bit like a court case. God is saying, I've got somewhat against you, Israel and Judah. And then they say a few things back, and then the Lord says something. That's kind of what it is. And we haven't got time. We're not going to read all of it. But in verse 6, this is where the Lord said, hey, guys, I'm your helper. I'm the guy who wants to look after you. And you're actually, you're actually walking away from that help. And in verse six, it says, this is Israel responding. It says, Well, where shall I come before the Lord and how and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? It's a bit facetious. Oh. And I guess if we want to bring it into, maybe maybe we bring it into our, oh, I've been to all the meetings, and I keep praying, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing that, and what do you want from me? And you can get into this mindset where it's really, it's it's quite a selfish, proud way of looking at things. And we're not exempt from this. This will happen in your walk in the Lord. And then God answers again in verse 8. God says, or through Micah, he says, He has shown thee, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of thee? So here's the answer. Micah's saying, actually, God's already told you what what he wants from you. He doesn't expect a lot because he knows you're human. But there's some things that he wants us from us. He says, uh, to do justly, to understand what is right, and when we say what is right, we're talking about godliness, God's right way of doing things, his righteousness. We need to understand what the right thing to do is, and we we do it. That is probably the hardest thing and the biggest lesson you will ever learn in your walk in the Lord. That's what God said. Now I have to do it, not just say it. That's Or that, maybe that's my greatest lesson. It's the hardest thing that I've, I have to continue to learn. Lord says that, I have to do that. I have to put my good big girl's panties on and get out there and do it. Roll my sleeves up and actually feel the fear and do it anyway. It's not easy. And then he says, and to love mercy. This is a real key. We're going to talk a little bit about this today. And to walk humbly with thy God. So he lays it down and says, well, this is it. This is is what God expects you to do. Now that you are part of his chosen people, these are the attributes that God requires from us. He wants us to know the right thing and do the right thing. We heard a talk uh, uh, recently from Brother Pat, and he talked about integrity. He talked about doing the right thing when no one else is watching. When no one else is there, we do the right thing because we know the Lord is with us. Integrity. Doing the right thing. Mercy. I love this. Mercy is, is, is a wonderful gift from the Lord. It's very closely tied to grace. God's unmerited favor towards us. And the great thing about mercy is, it's a chicken and egg thing. In order to show mercy, you've got to have it first. Or it's got to be given to you. And then in order to have it to you, you've got to be giving it. It's a chicken and egg. It's it's like, it's this infinity symbol. It just goes, ah. And when we step into it, yes. It's like when, back in the day when they're doing the skipping roads, yeah, they go jump in and you go, oh, wow, this, everything's happening around me. This is awesome. I'm part of something awesome. Until you trip over and then go, ah, oh, come on. Mercy is something that we have to understand we've received before we can give it. And in order to receive it, we've got to give it. Oh, you've confused me. How does that work? How, how does that work? We actually heard it in testimony today. We heard about a sister who had an issue in her life, and her answer was to ask for the mercy of God in her situation. Lord, the world's telling me, my brain's telling me, that I can't do this, that I'm not up to the, up to the task, that I'm different. Everything is telling me that I can't want actually to pass, or I, I can't desire to have the same things as everybody else. Praise to the Lord, and the Lord showers down mercy in her situation to the point where she succeeds. That's God's mercy. She's availed herself of that by asking the Lord, by telling the Lord what, what, uh, um, uh, she needs in her life. The Lord already knew and the Lord revealed it to her. To, in order to confess your faults, you've got to know your faults. Something that we hear all, the, confess your faults, but I've got none, so I'm sweet. Woo-hoo-hoo! You've got to know your faults to confess your faults. And God, he reveals our faults. <laughs> we get up, we look in the mirror and go, yep, there's plenty. Lord, have mercy on me (laughs) so that I might be merciful. So we see mercy being this thing that we love. We love the fact that God has extended his mercy to us and we are helpless without him. And that our desire is to show mercy. And just to finish off that example of our sister's testimony, and then her desire was to extend mercy to people in the same circumstance. There's a wonderful alignment with the mind of Christ in that, isn't there? That we were helpless, sinners, destined for death, couldn't pass the exam of life, and Jesus died for us, extended the merciful hand of his Father to us, and now we are healed, we are saved, and he now wants us to look upon others in this life and say, I want to help them. Just the other week, we talked about uh, the Good Samaritan and we, we discussed that and it was really good. And at the end of all that, Jesus says, after he said, and who was it that sh- that's- that was his neighbor or his, or his uh, brother? He says, he said, he that showed mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do you likewise. And that's what we've been called to. Now, first of all, you need to understand that mercy has been extended to you. And when you understand that, you understand what your faults are, and you understand that the Lord doesn't hold a grudge against you; that the Lord loves you; that He's forbearing with you, and that that is what He wants to have you to have in your heart too. That you're immune to this thing in the world which is called the pride of life. The Scriptures talk about it, where we treat others. Uh, with disrespect, not considering them to be of any value. People on this earth are quite expensive. They cost the life of the Son of God. They're pretty expensive. They might not all realize it, but that's the reality. Jesus Christ came and died for all mankind, all living human beings. That's what he came to do and give of himself he didn't count anyone above the other, no one was seen as worthless in his sight, and so he extended mercy uh, upon upon us in Matthew chapter five we'll just we'll do a bit of flicking around Matthew five just quickly um, Matthew five verse seven um, I'm in Mark, so that's not the right one. Matthew 5, in verse 7, it says this. It says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. There's your infinity square. Blessed are the merciful, those that show mercy, for they shall obtain mercy. So it's the cyclical thing that we have to have. It's this, uh, it, it, the Bible tells us that God's mercy towards us is new every morning. It's inexhaustible. It's inexcusable. It's this wonderful thing. And the Lord's telling us to love the concept of mercy. And when you understand what mercy is, you understand what reconciliation is. You know that ultimately God wants to reconcile a human being back to the Father, back to God himself, so they can have a relationship together. We hear that quite often. I've got a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Like... It's kind of a real tagline that's thrown out there and people don't actually understand what that means. But that is truly what we have. A personal relationship with the one who extended mercy to us. It's an awesome position for us to be in. So the Lord is God is asking us to love the concept of mercy. First of all, we need to understand that mercy has been given to us and we have to cut ourselves some slack. If God loves me, he can love anyone. (laughs) Amen? If he loves me, he, he can love anyone. And therefore, I should do the same. And so things like restoration and reconciliation and playing favorites is actually part of what God is about. Grace means God's unmerited favor. In other words, it wasn't earned, it was given. And favor means to be the favorite. We are the favorites of God himself. He plays favorites. He plays for you. And so he wants us to do the same for for each other and for the world. Um, Yeah, Isaiah chapter 1. Just to show the link here, we'll just do a bit of a link. A bit of linkity, think. Isaiah 1, same thing. God's not all that happy with what's been going down. Um, in verse 11, he says, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, says the Lord? I'm full of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this at your hand to tread my courts? The Lord is saying, yeah, what you think you're giving me is not actually what I want. And he goes on and says some other stuff. You can read that. In verse 16, he says, wash you, make yourself clean, put away evil from your doings from before mine eyes, cease to do evil. And then he says, learn to do well. Learn to do the right thing. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Seek justice. Seek God's judgment, righteousness in the situation. Don't look for a way to be right yourself. That's our kind of our disposition, isn't it? Oh, I'm right. I'm looking, I'm going to find the evidence to prove that my angle and my take is right. So you get taught at school, in the workplace, you justification, you're trying to justify everything you do. And that's the way we kind of as human beings, we gravitate to. Let's justify ourselves and what we do. Um, but the Lord is saying here, no, seek judgment, seek justice, seek God's uh, uh, right way and his call in your life. And it goes on and says, relieve the oppressed. Another way of saying, love mercy. Judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Do, do mercy, be merciful. It goes on and says, uh, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The Lord's kind of talking about mercy here. He's going, he's actually saying, yeah, there was a judgment against you. You were guilty, but, but I've been merciful to you. I don't know if any of you have ever been before a court, a judge. Um, I have, but I was in the gallery. I'll just get that right. We had a brother come along, uh, and, um, he had done some naughty things and he was in remand when he was baptized and spirit filled. Um, and then, uh, he had to face his judgment. He had done some fairly naughty, naughty things. And uh, I remember he said uh, he said to me, Sash, what do I do? I said, Did you do it? You're guilty? He goes, Yep. And you gotta You've gotta be honest. You've gotta say that. So he pleaded guilty. And his lawyer said to him, Bring your 40 because bucks 'cause you're gonna need to buy toothpaste and soap and uh, shampoo because 'cause you're going inside. Said so that's what I do. I said you've got to do what the what is right. Render to these people what you've done. God will be with you. Don't worry. I'm thinking, man, I'm not the one facing jail time here. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed because that's all we could do and asked for the Lord's mercy in this situation. And then fellowship. We went down and we sat in the docks. Oh, not in the docks? No, that's the wrong place. We weren't in the docks, we were in the gallery. And I've never been so nervous in all my life. I was sweating and I felt really guilty. I felt like I did something wrong. And our brother came out and he stood there with the bailiffs next to him. And then this lady comes out, she's the judge, and everyone has to stand up. You all have to pay your respects to this woman because she has the ability to cast judgment on you. If I stood up and went nuts, you oh, can't believe it, this is what I think. Take that man, put him in the slammer. That's the reality of that situation. And you're sitting there going, the gravity, you like, you just feel it. You can almost put it on crackers and eat it. It's just like, it's just unbelievable. And I was sitting there and it was my first real courtroom experience like this in a criminal court. And I'm sitting there and thinking, wow. My first thought was, mate, I don't want to be at judgment day. If this is what judgment in a court system is like, no way. I want to skip that. And then our brother comes up and this judge comes up and she starts reading off all the things that he'd done. And there was quite a list. And she's just started reading it out. You've done this, guilty, five years. You've done this, guilty, five years. You've done this, guilty, three years. And I'm starting to add up the years going, uh-oh, what's happening? And it just went on and on and on. And then she said, if he would like to accept a, uh, a good behavior bond and pay $500, and then he would be out um, on a good behavior bond for three years. If he committed another offense, he'd have it all thrown back to him and he'd have to serve every year. Or if he was good for three years, it'd be squashed. And you've never seen someone move so fast to sign a bit of paper in your life. Boom. Yep, oh, five hundred. Yep, whatever you need, I'm out. And I don't know how my how our brother was feeling, but in my in myself, whew, this relief was palpable. You could taste it. The mercy that had been shown to this guy—he was completely guilty. He had done some things against police officers and the police were there and they were ropeable. What? You can't let that guy go. They were, They went berserk. And we're sitting there. We felt yeah, praise the Lord. Oh, sorry, officer. <laughs> and they let him go. And, and I just thought, and the thankfulness on this brother's, his family were there. There were tears. It was just like, it was quite an emotional time. And I guess it gave me a real, physical example of what it meant to love mercy this judge could have just said you're guilty mate you're going inside but she chose to extend this, this mercy to him um, and it was a great example for us and then I just went home and I just could not I could not thank the Lord enough for the mercy that he'd shown me in my life and the things that he'd done healed of cancer Death sentence, mercy, son, deformed. Still, he's, he's, his growth stunted, but um, it, it's all good. You know, trouble conceiving, three kids. Yeah, 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 anyway. Uh, jobs, unemployed, you name it, the Lord's, and you just think, wow, the Lord's been merciful to me. How much more? I can't hold a grudge against the Lord for what happens in my life. And I can't walk in this life holding a grudge or, 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 or having any thought against anybody else because I was guilty. It's a real humbling place to be in. And that's where the Lord kind of wants us. He doesn't want us in this position. We'll look in a minute where we, we, we suffer from, from a disease that happens called self-righteousness. He wants us to understand and love mercy. Um, To walk humbly before the Lord. Again, uh, it's just an amazing thing uh, what the Lord um, does for us and how he lifts us up. Um, Now, decisions, decisions, decisions. Let's just go. You just stay there. Just stay. Don't move. Stay there. Exodus 34 Sometimes you write scriptures down you're like what I uh yeah maybe just just yeah let's Exodus 34 verse 6 just for I, I guess a little bit of clarity around mercy because we want to make sure that we understand that um a little bit like our bro was saying in in, in his testimony as well there like You can sometimes go, sweet, that's a good example. I'm not going to study, I'm just going to (laughs) pray. And then you get 5% and you wonder why, what happened there? Well, you didn't kind of do your best and you you, you get it. And it happens sometimes in our, we we want to kind of short circuit life sometimes. Um, And and, and this thing of mercy, um, even uh, Paul touched on it in Romans, uh, uh, in Romans chapter 6, where people started to think, oh, wow, sweet, I'm under the grace now so I can do whatever I want. And I can just flout God's law and just go out and do and party. Yeah. And just do whatever. No, there's God's mercy. It does actually, it, it has some conditions. And the Lord says something here in Exodus. Um, while the law has been given for the second time, because the first lot of tablets got broken. Um, and, uh, they were given again. And then the Lord says this in verse six. He says, and the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth. And we're like, yes, that's his title. Yep, that's who he is. Keeping mercy for thousands. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children and unto the third and to the fourth generation. So we've got this God qualifying mercy just for us. That we realize that it's not a, it's not a, uh, it's not a get out of jail free card. Although it might be. Um, it's saying here, well, if you love mercy and you display it, you'll receive it. But if you're guilty and you're not repentant, well, then God will deal with that. That's justice. That's God's judgment. That's righteous judgment. So it kind of qualifies it. So people just can't run off and go, oh, sweet. Spirit filled baptized now, do whatever I want and then it doesn't matter. Well, actually it really does. In fact it can impact your family. So uh, God's just qualifying it there. But his nature is to be abundant in goodness and truth and long suffering with us. Okay. Walk humbly. Psalm fifty one. Just do a little 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 walk through Psalms, I think. And then we'll get then we'll get going. 51. Oh, yeah, we just 51. 51, 16. It says here uh, in verse 16, it says, For you desire not sacrifice, else would I give it. You delight not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, wilt thou not despise? So the psalmist here is, is writing, um, and uh, this is David writing here, and if you go back a bit, um, there's a song that we sing in verse 10. Um, David here is a wonderful story of God's mercy. Um, the guy was guilty. He did something that was really despicable uh, in a lot of ways, um, but he confessed it before the Lord after it was shown. Nathan actually had to show it to him. We know the story. David didn't just go, oh, hands up. He had to have it revealed to him. And then the Lord dealt with that in his life. Um, and here he goes on, create in me a clean heart. We hear it, we, we, we sing the song, we love the words, we, we relate to it because we know um, that we avail ourselves of that mercy. And then David, you know, he talks there and saying, well, actually the sacrifices that you're after, Lord, is for me to actually put myself down. A contrite and broken spirit, humility and a willingness to follow you. Um, and that is, uh, in, 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 uh, I guess in the New Testament language, is repentance. Repentance is actually the fruit of mercy. And it's something that you just don't do. At the start, you're doing it all the time. You're continually getting up and saying, no, I'm going to do it the Lord's way and not my way, because that's what repentance is. It's saying, no, I'm going to do it the Lord's way and not my own. And it's a continual process. And uh, that is the sacrifice that God wants from us now, for us to put down our own thoughts, even our own emotions and feelings sometimes, and say, no, God, I'm going to do it your way because I want to do what's just and right in your sight because I love mercy and I want to avail myself of your mercy and give mercy and I want to walk humbly in your way. That you might be the one that's glorified in my life and not me. That is, that is truly what, what God requires for us. Um, and I just wanted to move a little bit into a, a little point I want to just talk a little bit about here is, is, um, uh, growing up is something that I had to, had to kind of get in my head and, um, and I hear it quite often and, um, I thought it's, it's a good thing. It's this term that you'll hear sometimes being used, being used, and uh, often uh, it's uh, particularly. I could. I, I didn't grow up as a young girl, so uh, I can't necessarily speak for for them. But as a young guy, you grow up and you think, oh, being used in the Lord is giving a talk, it's leading the choruses, um. It's actually not. <laughs> that's just another job that someone has to do. And, uh, it's generally, <laughs> it's generally the mugs that get that job. Uh, but the Lord, uh, uh, He, He works with uh, certain people and He raises them up for, for His delight and for His, for His uh, guidance and for His encouragement to the church. But that's not being necessarily being used in the Lord. It's part of it. But it's not necessarily something that we need to say, well, that's, if that's not happening in my life, then I'm not being used. And I guess, uh, times in my walk of the that sort of, ah, I'm not being used. Like, ah. And then I wondered why. And then I realized that God could see into my life and he could see that I wasn't being used in my own life. What God has called us to be is he's called us to be the best Brother, sister you can be. To display the righteousness of God in your life at home. To be the best daughter, the best son, the best husband, the best wife, the best natural brother, the best uncle, the best worker at work. That's where you're used of the Lord. That's where you're most effective for the Lord. You're not as effective up here. This isn't where you're most effective, speaking into this thing, getting recorded, da-da-da-da. It's part of the way God uses people. But this is not the meat and taties of being used by the Lord. Being used by the Lord is actually as soon as you walk out there. And when you open your eyes to that, you're like, yes, I'm one of God's favorites. I'm going to be used everywhere. I'm used at work, I'm used at home, I'm used with my kids, I'm used with the cat. And sometimes, you know, I've, down through the years, I've had, a, I've had various brothers come and sit in my lounge room and say, I just want to be used. How's, how's things going at home? Oh, yeah, not really that well. Things aren't all that good. I'm fighting with mum and dad, not getting on with the girlfriend hate my job, okay, but I'm really keen to give a talk. <laughs> you know, I think what the Lord's trying to say to you, bro, is get your house in order. Because if the foundation's shaky, the rest of it's going to be real wobbly. Get your house in order. The Lord wants you to be used at home, and that's for the guys. For the ladies, it's the same deal. Oh, there's nothing for ladies to do in the church. There's no ministry for us and we can't do anything. I'm going to a church where I can get up there and be here and be most effective. Ah. Wrong. You need to be the best sister. Naturally, the best sister in the Lord you can be, the best daughter you can be, the best wife you can be, the best girlfriend you can be. That's where the Lord wants you to be used. And he gives us a whole, he gives us chapters of how to do that. But often we bypass all of that and go straight for the pulpit, straight for the running the Sunday school, whatever it might be. Because naturally in our in our natural thinking, we feel like if no one can see us, then it never happened. But with the Lord, it's completely the opposite. Be used at home, where only God can see you, and he will lift you up. Most of the pastors that I know, most of the leaders that I know, did not choose to stand here. In fact, it was the furthest thing from their life and in their mind, including myself. Stop the tape. (laughs) I knocked it back for two years. I said, I don't want to do that. I'm a family man. i be a pastor. It's ridiculous. You guys run yourself to the bone. Your family's getting neglected. I don't want anything to do with that. I'm quite happy being over here. I'm a family man. And God showed me. <laughs> and that's what he does. But what he's saying to us is, if you're sitting there today thinking, I'm not being used, you're looking at it the wrong way, you're not allowed allowing the Lord to use you. You're not seeing where the Lord can use you in your own life. You can be a better husband, you can better be a better wife. You can be a better brother in the Lord. You can be a better sister in the Lord. We all can be better. That's where the Lord wants to use us. We can all be better at work, even if you're the boss. <laughs> you can always be better. And that's where the Lord wants to use us. That's being humble before the Lord and saying, Lord, let me be about your purpose in whatever I do. And if I'm faithful, as Jesus said, in the small things, I'll be faithful in much. Not the other way around. It doesn't work. Faithful in much and then I'll take care of the little things. It never works in life like that. Take care of the small things and the big things will come. Not that it's necessarily about that. But naturally, our hearts get really confused with that because we gravitate straight to what can be seen. You know, sometimes we walk in through this door here, and we're like, "It's show time! Everything's so good." Walk out the door, oh, my life is terrible. I exaggerate, but we all do it. And the Lord's saying, "Be." Happy and everything out there. And then when you walk in here, it's a lot easier. There are people that don't walk in that door because they're at home thinking, I'm not good enough. I can't put the show on today. I haven't dealt with things in my life and I can't put the show. I just can't bear it. I can't look at people in the eye. I can't shake their hands. I can't be that good saint in the Lord because because of all these things. And the Lord is saying, no, no, you can sort all that out. Be humble and the Lord will lift you up. Be real, be authentic, be the best saint you can be. Not here. This counts, I say this all the time, this counts for nothing. That's maybe a little bit generalistic, but this doesn't count for a lot. This is like 1% of your week. What happens out there is where it counts. That's what it means to be in the Lord, not in here. If that's, and I, that's what I used to do. I used to come in here. Hallelujah. I want to sing all about it. Oh, I knew how to clap my hands down. Amen. Yeah. Do you want to close and pray? Yeah. No worries. Uh, thank you, Lord, uh, for the knives and the forks and, and anyone can do that, but that's not what it's about. We need to get it right out there. It needs to be our life and it transforms. It comes in here. You're authentic, you're genuine, you're consistent. And that's what we are. But the Lord just wants us to remind us that it counts out there. Titus 2, just while, just in case, you, if you're taking notes, let's just go there real quick. This is just one, one book. There's plenty more. Titus 2. Titus, Titus, Titus. It's before Hebrews, where are you? Titus 2. And it says, uh, But speak thou of things that become of sound doctrine. Age men, be sober, be responsible, be morally alert, grave, temperate, and self-control, sound in the faith, in charity and love and patience. Age women likewise, that they be in behaviors becoming holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young woman to be sober. To be discreet, chases, keep at home, goes on. Young men, exhort yourself to be, encourage yourself to be sober-minded, to take things seriously. In all things, showing yourself consistency, a pattern of good works. It goes on and on. If you're a servant, be obedient unto your masters at work. Yeah, he might have told you to do something that you didn't really want to do. Just do it with everything you've got, serving the Lord first. Not purloining. That's a great word. It basically means don't steal things that are inconsequential. It was, I didn't ever knew that. And then someone raised it one time and I went, and I went, oh. And the example they used is, you know how sometimes you go to work and you go, oh, I'll take that pen home. And I thought, oh, that's purloining. So I went home and gathered up all my pens and I took it back to work. We're just a little bit, but it's like not taking little things and then covering it. Oh, but that wasn't stealing. It's about kind of just that subtlety, not showing, um, oh, but showing all good fidelity, being honest and respected that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Saviour, in all things. And this is just some, and you can go on and on and on. God, that's how God wants us to be used. If we can be used in those things, we're being used. It's awesome. Ah, let's go to Matthew nineteen. I'm a bit of trouble here. We'll, we'll finish up here, Matthew nineteen. Just wanted to touch on a couple of things here with uh, this dude here, just in light of some of um, this stuff. Uh, Matthew 19, verse 16. We know this quite well, but we'll go through it. It says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Uh, And he said unto him, and you can imagine what he was expecting here. He was probably expecting a bit of kudos. Oh, you recognized I was good. Oh, thank you very much. Oh, you're a nice, polite young man. You're very confident? No. And Jesus said, why do you call me good? There is none good but one that is God. But if you will enter into life, keep the commandments. Now, what's really interesting here is it gives us an insight into the way that our brain works and our heart works. Is that sometimes we see goodness based on our outward works. So we think, oh, I'm being good because I'm ticking all these boxes. Tick, 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 tick. Because I've, I've, I've crossed off the list and I've, I've went to the meeting, prayed two times a day facing Jerusalem, did this, fed the cat, whatever you... tick list. There's my good works for the day. Thank you very much. And we think, oh, that's what it means to be good. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Goodness comes from the Father. Those that are good it will be given it of him. So we recognize that goodness or good works in the, in, the, in, in the Lord is given to us by the Lord God himself. It doesn't even come from Jesus Christ. It comes from God himself. He reveals that to us. And so it's a result of his strength in us, not ours. That's the whole point of it. Because if it's all about what we do, then what's God doing? It's actually all about what God's doing. And we're giving ourselves over to him. So this man kind of highlights that to us. And then it goes, and he said, well, which? Which commandment? Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness on your mother, mum, and dad. And you shall love thy neighbour as yourself. And the young man said, "Ticked all the boxes. All these things I've done from my youth up. What do I lack? What? What? What is it? What is it that I'm not doing? Because he recognised goodness as works." And he's, uh, and Jesus said unto him, If you will be complete, that's what the word perfect means. If you'll be complete, go and sell, sell what you have and give to the poor and you shall, you shall have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for a great possession. When we come to the Lord and we say, Lord, we want eternal life be prepared for the Lord to answer back he's going to tell us the things that he wants us to work on he's going to reveal some things in our life that we need to 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 sort out and we're not going to sort that out by doing things uh, or good works you can't improve uh, you can't improve a situation at home just from attending meetings and going oh, why is nothing happening? I keep coming to the meetings and I, I'm not changing anything at home. What's, what's the deal? Why, why are we, why is the relationship having troubles? What, what? What's going on? We can't go, Oh, I'm witnessing. I'm out there preaching the gospel, but it's not fixing, uh, my relationship between my daughter and me. And we're still fighting and we're, and we're not right, but I'm witnessing. Come on, Lord. What's the deal? I'm going to every fellowship activity, tick, 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 calendar, tick, 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 But I'm just fighting with my boss all the time. Oh, what's happening? it requires us to do something. In this example here, the man, we don't know, hopefully he did something. But the Lord's going to reveal that to us and say, this isn't right, Sash. You need to get on your knees and avail yourself of my mercy, and you need to do the right thing. You know what it is, because I've told you it's in my word. Do the right thing, take care of it, and i and then, and then, you'll have eternal life. You'll or you'll have the blessings of the Lord. You can't expect to avail ourselves of the mercy of God and to have His judgment and righteousness in our life if we haven't done the right thing. The gospel doesn't come to us by osmosis. It's by acts of love. Faith without works still works. It's dead, the scriptures tell us. It has no life in it. If we say we love our children, it's cheap. But we don't do do the things that pertain to love, there's no acts of love, then then we're double-minded in our approach and we're, and we're not right. And that's where pride comes in and gets in under there. And we need to weed some of those things out. Now, for most of us, we're dealing with those things all the time and the encouragement is, is to continue to keep doing the right thing and loving mercy and walking humbly before the Lord and the Lord will continue to work on those things. But you've got to be prepared to put your hand to the plow as well and work, work alongside the Lord. It won't happen overnight, but it will happen, as they say. Uh, let's finish in Galatians 5. Galatians chapter 5. Better be careful going to Galatians. I might lose my job. I might quote something here and I might be in all sorts of trouble. Let's go to verse 13. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty, to freedom. We heard about our sister describing in her life how the Lord has revealed to her what it means to be free from the world. This is from, if my sister doesn't mind, from a sister who was brought up in the Lord. She's never been in the world. She's never tasted the world. It probably looks really shiny and nice and the grass is green on the other side and all that. But the Lord has revealed to her, by his mercy, that it ain't. And so she's free. That's what happens to us. It says, only use not your freedom for an occasion to do the things of the flesh. To do it the way of the flesh. To think like the world. But by love, so rather use your liberty to serve one another. That's a powerful, powerful scripture. It says, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. Which actually isn't one word, but in one word, even this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You've got to love yourself So you can love your neighbor, you've got to show mercy to your neighbor in order to receive mercy. It's this cyclical thing. But if you, this is how well God knows us. He's so good. Just when we thought we were awesome. (laughs) But if you bite and devour one another, be careful that you're not consumed one of another. Sometimes showing mercy is to refrain from being critical of your partner, of the people on the other side of the hall, of, of whatever it might be. And that, and God's just pulled it out straight away if you bite and if you actually start to get a bit of self-righteousness because you think your works are good, it's gonna, it's not going to be pretty flesh-eating people, gnashing of teeth. And then in verse 16 it says this, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So it's a real encouragement to us here that the liberty has set us free to serve and love one another and to live in the Spirit, to live in a position where we are able to do what is required of us to do justly, to do the right thing, to know the right thing, to love mercy, to show mercy, to accept it, and to walk humbly before the Lord in a state of constant repentance, recognizing that it is God's work in us, not our work for God which is slightly different. The things that the Lord has revealed to us, brethren, is from the Father himself. That is why we have fellowship one with another. That's what the scriptures tell us. It is a wonderful thing to know that our Father in heaven knows us so well and he's made provision for us. So let us continue to know what the Lord has required from us, to be prayerful that the Lord continues to work in us that we might be able to serve one another and the world as God sees fit. Amen.